You're in the water loop. Waterloop is made possible in part by grants from Springpoint Partners and the Walton Family Foundation. Hi, this is Travis with Waterloop. Plastic pollution is a huge problem in our environment and in our water. Unfortunately, it's everywhere, and we've got to do what we can to reduce the plastic that's in our society. This stuff takes hundreds of years to break down, and it's made with fossil fuels, which just drives climate change. That's why I'm a big fan of the solid metal construction of High Sierra showerheads. There's no plastic involved. They're made with solid plated brass, stainless steel, and heavy duty aluminum. Even the seals and hoses are made from silicone rubber. So again, no plastic in High Sierra showerheads. That's unlike the competitors out there in the market, which have a lot of plastic involved. Often the metal you see is just a thin layer covering plastic. Another advantage of this solid metal construction is durability. High Sierra showerheads are simply going to last a long time. You can get 20% off using promo code LOOP20 at HighSierraShowerheads.com. You're in the Waterloop. Welcome to Waterloop. This is Travis going to be talking about the beverage industry and their relationship with water for this episode. Joined by Nick Martin. He is Executive Director of the Beverage Industry Environmental Roundtable. Nick, thanks for coming on. Yeah, great to be here. Appreciate it, Travis. Also joined by Andre Fourie. He is Global Director of Water Sustainability at AB InBev. Andre, thanks for joining as well. Looking forward to our discussion. Yeah. Wait, so, um, Maybe real quick before I dive into the questions, Nick, could you let folks know kind of the membership of uh, the Beverage Industry Environmental Roundtable or BEER for short? Yeah, no, happy to. It's a great organization. Um, it's Beverage Industry Environmental Roundtable. We started back in 2006. Um, it's a coalition of the leading global beverage companies. We've got 15 companies at the moment spanning distilled spirits, breweries, soft drinks, bottled water. Um, and, and most beverage categories um, came together just strictly on environmental sustainability as the topic and the focus, um, with water being kind of the thing that brought us together back in 2006. So I'm um, happy to share a little bit more of that story um, during yeah. the podcast. Fantastic. Yeah. I want folks to understand that when we're, we're talking about your organization, um, we're talking about, you know, really the titans of the beverage industry. Absolutely. And, you know, having AB and Bev represented here illustrates that perfectly. So, um, yeah. When did the beverage industry start to really tune in to water sustainability and you know i know there's different phases of that but but when did this this shift take place you know early on i mean we we definitely have believed we've been the leaders in this segment or in this topic area and you know with beer it was it was like i said the topic that brought all this group together you know there was that feeling at the time that water obviously is is fundamental to the products for one but there was a feeling that it was growing in a lot of attention, especially in certain geographies throughout the world. And this group came together because they knew it was more than just water efficiency. There were many more elements to it that they were feeling from both, you know, the, the engineering side, the physical side, but also the regulatory side and then the social side, because water is, you know, fundamental to everybody's life. 
And so that's really what kind of triggered it. And that's 2006. But with, you know, the majority of these companies are agricultural based companies. So if you talk with them, you understand that a lot of this is just inherent in what they've always done. But I would say 2006 and early 2000s is where really start to, you know, come together for especially the leading companies just realizing this was something they had to kind of get their arms around and it was going to be just a very pervasive issue, you know, into the future. Um, and they stepped up and they wanted to be leaders at that time. Yeah, I think it's, it's, it's absolutely true that across the industry, over time, people became aware that water is more than just the uh, efficient use uh, on a daily basis and that there were concerns uh, in the local community with local authorities, etc. But really, the, the bombshell was uh, when in India, uh, a number of beverage companies had their plants uh, closed or uh, the ability to operate uh, curtailed severely uh, by the local authorities in response to perceived water issues. So a sense that maybe the beverage industry was using more water uh, locally than the local community uh, could afford. So that perception uh, strongly influenced companies to think we need to be seen as water stewards. Um, quite often we're actually quite a small, uh, or beverage uh, producers are quite a small user of actual volume of water uh, in, in a proportion of the total water. But because you're an identifiable user, often seen with a, a industrial plant, etc., you could be perceived as using a lot of water. So that really informed the industry that we can't just manage it locally on issue by issue, but we need to start building up a water stewardship approach and demonstrate that we care about water, not just about our own access to water. I want to just kind of talk about these two terms, if you will, water efficiency, water stewardship, and just kind of define those a little bit. Um, what does water efficiency mean for a beverage company, and why is it important? Yeah, so so water efficiency in the strict sense is how many liters of water do you use per liter of product that you produce. So many years ago, it was quite common in the beverage or in the beer industry that people would be using maybe five liters of water to make uh, a liter of beer. Uh, that has gone down dramatically. Uh, for, in the case of ABNBF, we're currently at 2.7 uh, liters of water to make one liter of beer. So dramatic use in efficiency. So that's inside the plant is better equipment, better water use, making sure that you don't waste water, but also increasingly being smart in reusing water. So although we do have we don't have any treated uh, effluent touching in the product. There are ways that you can clean water and then wash the floors or maybe use in the condensers, etc., where you can reuse that water and then save on the overall water. So by doing that in a high-risk location, you, you reduce the demand of water on the local authority and increase the amount of water that's available for other water users. Mm. And so obviously that's that's a good ethical thing to do, but also water carries a cost. So there, there, it's good business to try to use less water, be more efficient also. Is that correct? Yeah, I would, I would add, yeah, especially if you think about kind of the true cost of the water, right? And that's what piece of work we did, you know, several years ago with beer, just there's a direct cost you pay for water, but there's the movement of water, the heating and cooling, the treatment, the discharge, like if you look at that embedded embedded value of the water that you're managing, that furthers that case for what Andre was talking about, just 
how do you how do you reduce it? How do you reuse it? Recycle, you know, recycle, and then you know, give back and return to the watershed as well. Mm. So I, it seems like the water efficiency piece probably came first. Um, and then maybe the water stewardship, you know, what's happening outside the building in watersheds and in waterways came after that. Um, correct me if, if that's wrong, but what, um, I'd like to hear about that transition a little bit more, you know, what, what drove the move to be more involved outside of facilities and upstream from facilities? No, I would say it was the recognition of shared risk. I think uh, a number of companies uh, in discussion with organizations such as WWF came to the conclusion that water is no longer what we used to think, something that we manage and pay for and are responsible for using and discharging, but it's something that we share with others. And it's not just the resource that we share, but also the risk that people around us perceive us as water users. They would like us to see to be stewards of the water, but not just of the water that we use, but of the watershed. So what is the source of the water? Where does it come from? And investing in shared security makes a great deal of sense in terms of building both your reputation locally, but also your ability to continue to operate uh, uninterrupted and with a reasonable price and access uh, to clean water. Yeah. Yeah, and, and I would just e echo that. I mean, I think you're spot on, and you know that's where the beverage sector is has realized this for a long time, and it's allowed us to kind of evolve our strategies and do more of the collective action. I mean, collective action with beer is great at the global level, but then all the way down to the watershed watershed level as well, because you know that term shared challenges is a great one because that's what a lot of this really is. No one entity can you know, fix a fix an issue and or build sustainability, whether it's a government agency, infrastructure or, you know, industry and business. Um, you know, that that's like I said a little while ago. I mean, that's what really brought beer together. It was that realization of water is really important. Water is really dynamic. It depends on the geography and it's more than just efficiency. And, you know, that's one of the things we did as a first initiative of beer was to create that definition of what does it mean to be a water steward? And we created that definition in 2006. We're actually working on our, I think it's our fourth version of it um, right now, which we'll publish in the next couple of weeks. But, you know, it breaks it down into there's, you know, kind of concentric circles of where you can influence as a company. You know, you have to have your direct operations and do the right thing within your own facilities, within your supply chain, within the watershed. You got to engage in community collective action. And then there's this influence piece, right? If you want to be a leader, you have to lead. Um, you know, that's the, the thing I always like that that hashtag of leaders lead. You know, it's mm -hmm. how do you then influence with all your knowledge and, and advocate for water stewardship security? How do you disclose what you're doing and share what you're doing? And I think that's a big part. And I, I commend our beer members. They're all very open with what they're doing because they realize they need everybody else doing the same kinds of things if we want to achieve that sustainability. Um, but that, you know, I'm so proud of that, that we realized that back you know, in 2006 and continue to kind of push it forward and advance it versus getting complacent. Yeah, I want to recognize the, the role of beer. I think it's a really important as an organization and a collective of leading companies collaborating together. Very proud to be here as AB InBev as one of the members today, but it's important to recognize all the others, uh, which are really playing important roles in defining this. And I think beer also helped us with that categorization. So what is water stewardship? How do you demonstrate it? Uh, etc. Uh, but as a company, we tend to take quite a, a simple thing 
a simple view on on complicated things. And you know, our, we are known for our slogan: "No water, no beer." So for us, the, it's a very intrinsic relationship between beer and water. Um, so therefore, I've never heard anyone in our company say, "But why are we investing in water? Why would we care about it?" It's just so closely connected with our company, with our culture, with our product and our processes. So for us to make sense, it makes sense to celebrate water. It makes sense to use it efficiently, but also to invest uh, in watersheds with others to make sure that we secure it uh, for the future and to make sure that there's enough for the local communities. Yeah, well, I, I like that you made that point, Andre, because um, one of the things that strikes me is you have, uh, again, the, the titans of the beverage industry, right? You guys are global competitors when it comes to business. Uh, but when it comes to like addressing these water sustainability issues, you really are collaborators, um, and that's, that's awesome for someone like me. I'm really happy to see that, that happening, you know, um, yeah. this term water stewardship, uh, let's try to make it more tangible, I guess. Could you share some examples of like projects or places, um, things that have been done either by individual members, uh, like AB and Bev or, or as, um, you know, partnerships among the different members? Yeah, certainly we are. We have a number of examples as AB InBev that we that we are really proud of, uh, such as working in the hops industry uh, in George in South Africa, or working in Mexico uh, in a number of uh, locations such as uh, Zacatecas with partners like GIZ, etc. But top of mind for us at the moment is the work that we're doing in Guadalajara uh, in Mexico through the beer uh, collaboration. So we have a number of companies that you would normally see as direct uh, competitors, so uh, AB InBev, uh, Brown Foreman, Beam Santori, Bono Ricard, Bacardi, Tiagio, Keurig, Dr. Dr. Pepper, you get the, the, the drift here. Major competitors who are formally collaborating on a watershed project to invest in ecosystem security and biodiversity improvement in order to secure the long-term future of water in that location. It's a area that has been facing a lot of impact uh, from climate change and also water use uh, locally. So we are very proud of seeing all these competitors uh, collaborate under the beer platform uh, in a, one location in Mexico. And we think this is the recipe for the future for other industries and also for ourselves uh, to show up uh, in the rest of the world you know, in a way that shows collaboration can get us to scale beyond cute individual projects. <laughs> Yeah, and Andre, I'd, I'd second that. I mean, I think we really tapped into something with that one because I'll be honest, initially we thought success was maybe three companies willing to collaborate within a you know competitive local market. That's really never been tested like that. And the fact that we're up to nine nine member companies and continuing to, to expand and have a lot of interest, we really tapped into something there, um, which, is, which is exciting and, and definitely something that can be replicated as well. Now you mentioned climate change, Andre, and the news is just full of stories about water right now, whether it's the huge drought that's hitting the, you know, the Western part of the United States or what's happened around the world in different places. You know, like a couple of years ago, Australia was, was getting hit really bad. But, um, I imagine that as companies, um, you're clearly taking note of this and realizing that the, the landscape is changing and the water stewardship, water sustainability efforts have to go even further. Is that, is that right? Absolutely. So as a company, we have quite a strong uh, water risk management process. We've invested over time in a uh, process and a, 
uh, internal tool, a water risk uh, management tool. So each of our locations undertakes uh, a very detailed water risk assessment, which we track over time. And then we prioritize the high risk areas for watershed investment, but also to improve our water efficiency. And there are very clear trends uh, over time. Climate in, climate change is a very big uh, impact uh, locations uh, around the world. We saw that in Cape Town a number of years ago, uh, strong impact uh, in uh, the potential of a major city running out of water. I think that was a big wake-up call for many around the world. But also there are quality issues. It's not just availability. Uh, there are a number of infrastructure issues, the way um, we collectively manage water, uh, so these are all the way cities are growing, the major infrastructure and urbanization issues. And we need to take all of these into consideration uh, and map our risk and respond accordingly. You know, one thing, Travis, I'd add too, I, I was kind of nervous with all the you know focus on climate change and obviously climate-related disclosures that it would shift too much attention away from water. And I know there's a lot of people in the water space that are also concerned about that, but I've actually seen it kind of be a little bit of a blessing because, you know, historically a lot of the water stewardship work and water leadership was around scarcity, right? Like we don't have enough water, how stressed is a watershed? And I think partly because of the climate focus, it's expanded that, you know, to look at where do you have too much water or the, the water quality aspects, you know, it just, it's brought in some of those different perspectives, which, you know, at the end of the day are critical because, in the majority of watersheds, if not all, you've got more than one challenge at play. And it's kind of understanding that dynamic between all of it, because you can have locations where you can have significant droughts and floods all within the same year. Um, and, you know, that's something that you have to be able to figure out and manage as a company. And it, it's challenging. But I think climate and, and TCFD has kind of brought that even more so to the forefront, which is which is going to be good. Hmm. I'm, I'm really curious also uh, what you as companies, as a beverage industry, are hearing from customers, from consumers about water efficiency, water sustainability. What's What are you hearing from them? How has maybe what you've heard from them changed over the years? Water efficiency inside the company is something that uh, stakeholders expect from a company, but it's not top of mind uh, for them. Mm-hmm. Our most Effective engagement with consumers has been through our Stella Artois brand uh, and our partnership with water.org, engaging on water access uh, to people in need. And also consumers really appreciate the ability not just to identify with a brand, but to have an option to buy, in this case, a chalice uh, and the donation goes directly to water access or to buy a, uh, a product we, it says if you buy this product, so much will be donated directly uh, for water access. So there are a number of consumers who really like that ability to make a direct contribution uh, to water access. It's very clear to us that the idea of water stewardship, we've not landed well as an industry uh, with consumers. Um, they've not uh, been able to identify that as a clear set of leadership and something that they can uh, identify with. Uh, in terms of an action. And I think that's something we can all collaborate on and making sure that we get that across to consumers because that really is important uh, going forward. Mm. Yeah, I would I would agree with that completely. I mean, I think that investor-customer um, conversation relationships continue to evolve. I think there's a mutual appreciation for how important it is. But on the consumer side, it's a, it's a different story. There's still a bit of that disconnect between I want to drink this beverage or eat this food product or snack versus 
you know, what are the impacts of it? What are the companies doing, the brands that I'm supporting? I think that awareness is building, um, but there still is that disconnect. And I feel like consumers play a huge role in this, not just food and beverage, but any any consumer product category, just because, you know, consumers have demands that you try to meet, but at the same time, you're trying to balance that with being the most efficient you can with that. And, you know, it's kind of like have your cake and eat it too. There's a bit of a challenge there trying to accomplish that. Um, and it's true for a lot of the major retailers and Amazons of the world that are, you know, shipping a lot of products and trying to, you know, meet that consumer demand of time and quality and et cetera. Um, consumers have to play a, have to play a role. Yeah. Uh, wanted to also ask about, uh, you know, the investors, right? The, the, the investors out there, um, shareholders and so forth. What, uh, what have, has been heard from them when it comes to water sustainability and, and management by, you know, the, these beverage companies? Uh, this is a rapidly growing area for, for investors. And we see it as part of the whole ESG agenda. Uh, very important uh, for investors to understand the water risk into the future and whether you understand the risk and how you plan to manage it in a way that will make sure that you have access to water uh, into the future. So we increasingly see very direct uh, questions from, from investors. I think it's fair to say they're still trying to work out how to quantify this, how to understand it, what's the difference between different industries. Um, they do tend to, to use... Uh, proxies, which are not always uh, helpful. So, for instance, I see they uh, they like using uh, dollars per um, or water use per dollar of profit. Uh, that doesn't actually uh, give you a real sense of the efficiency or the use of water in particular industries. So, I think it's a learning journey uh, for many of the investors. But certainly, the um, the rating agencies and investors that we engage with are really trying to understand. So, how do you appreciate water? How do you manage water? And are you making the right types of investment into the future? Hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I would, I would completely agree. I mean, I think there, it depends on the investors. Some are very much still driven by that data, which can potentially be misleading versus understanding the dynamics of water, especially from a geographic standpoint. But there's a lot of investors that are very sharp on the topic. They realize that it's not easy. And I think they've appreciated that more where they just want to find out what are you trying to do? What are you trying to accomplish? Where are you going? And it plays into just resiliency, whether it's water or climate or, you know, any other topic. It's about, you know, business resiliency at this point. Hmm. <clears throat> Wanted to ask about this word greenwashing, right? And it's something that you have, you hear out there, um, you know, where uh, people think that companies are just kind of, um, improperly portraying the things they do for environmental benefit, you know, to, to make the consumers happy, to look good, to make sales and, and everything like that. Um, I'm not saying that's what's going on here in the least, but I just kind of wondered, you know, how you break through that perception and show that what you're doing as beverage companies is authentic. You, you definitely have an element of greenwashing out there in ESG. I mean, these are, you know, around the consumer industrial goods they're all really great marketers they have their brands they have to do the marketing and, and and commercial side but you can really differentiate that with with what is genuine and one of the things i've been proud about with this beverage group is just they could have gotten a bit complacent right they were doing a lot in the early 2000s they could have gotten a point and said hey we're doing more than everybody else let's just slow down but they've continued to push forward and advance and 
it's amazing some of the things we've been diving into on the carbon side and greenhouse gas accounting, but also the water side of, you know, again, just getting down into those details. It's like, how do we, how do we continue to squeeze, you know, reducing our impacts? And that's just what I see as being so genuine is you could have stopped and they haven't, they've just continued to go because they know just how critical and fundamental it is. Uh, but it is hard to see through that. And I think, you know, some of the things around SASB and some of the reporting and some of those initiatives, I think, are starting to drive more comparability where it is, you know, you live in a transparent world. It's hard to hide things these days. So I think more and more as that is going to come out where what is genuine versus what is surface. Um, and some of these leading companies are going to have very robust, you know, programs that others are going to have to really catch up because you, you just you just can't mature overnight in any of these topics. Hmm. Andre? Yeah, I think on water, I think on water, there's an interesting take on on, on greenwashing. Um, for me, an easy test is whether a company talks about uh, water in terms of itself or in terms of the watersheds where they operate. And what I mean with that is the real difficult, the real difficult stuff on water is investing in watersheds which we don't control. We often relatively small players, and I think if you see a company that is transparent about the problems uh, that they face there, that they're clear about uh, collaboration, that they're committing to be a part of the um, future of that, the health of that watershed and show the progress made, good and bad, over time. You can be sure that's not greenwashing. Mm. When companies define, hey, I use 100 liters and, I'm, and I am offsetting 120 liters, therefore globally I'm a good water steward, I would say I would think about that uh, quite carefully. Unfortunately, some of the standards drive companies towards uh, the wrong type of behavior or it incentivizes that. So even discussions like science-based targets uh, for companies try to move in the direction of saying, so, but how much water do you use and how do we equate what you're doing in the watershed with that? And yes, it can give you a balance of is this at operating at scale, but the risk is that then gets a company to a very a point quite early on and say, hey, we know what, now offsetting more water than we use globally. So clearly that's enough. We can stop. And that's not the behavior we, what we want. We want companies to commit to the long-term long -term health of the watersheds where they operate, uh, however long that takes. Mm. Great points. You know, you know the other one that, that triggered too, Andre, is just being genuine about doing this throughout your operations. You know, I think some companies narrow down and they only do it in stress locations where they feel the risk versus saying we have a role to play in every community we're in, every watershed we're in. I think that's also been a differentiator because it's not just too little water in scarce areas. It, it's like we talked about these other challenges that are out there um, in, in almost any, any watershed in the world. I mean, I've often been asked what's the perfect watershed and I don't think there is one. <laughs> good point. Uh, I think it's a good point. It's a good point, Nick. Uh, I must say we are guilty as charged in the sense of focusing on high-risk watersheds. Um, we think we rather concentrate our areas in area in locations where we can make a difference. So that's very important for us, and that's right front and center of our strategy. But also, I, I acknowledge water is important uh, across the world. So you have to be a good steward of water wherever you operate. So we try to drive down water efficiency and invest in water projects as appropriate, but also increasingly to consider water in our supply chain. You know, so we know that a bulk of water in a beer is contained theoretically and uh, embedded in the agricultural uh, supply chain, and we don't control that. But 
taking interest in understanding the water risk and the water use uh, in our supply chain, working with our suppliers and with farmers, and how we can have better irrigation, uh, different types of irrigation, um, more um, sustainable agriculture, very important for us uh, going forward. Sure. Uh, speaking of going forward, I wanted to ask about uh, what might be a barrier, an obstacle, a challenge that the beverage industry has to making more progress when it comes to water sustainability. I, I think the challenge is you can only do so much alone. You know, you can have a absolutely perfect state of the art facility, but you still have a lot of dependencies on the local watershed, local community, local infrastructure, and so. I see that greatest challenge of where can we bring these initiatives together? Because in any watershed, you know, you could put a point on the map of every water project going on and it's a nice patchwork, but it's not accomplishing the scale that's required. It's not leveraging the resources, the efficiency, and really doing things more collaboratively. I think we're getting there, but there's still a lot of companies that just aren't, aren't willing to do that, aren't ready to do that, don't understand the importance. And we need, to, we need to speed that up if we can, because the collective action is the only way we're really going to address these challenges in a meaningful way. Mm. Now, I agree with that. The, the fact that Nick and I so proudly talk about the one watershed where we have nine companies collaborating <laughs> uh, is both something to celebrate, but also should uh, have alarm bells going off. The year 2021, um, we really should have multiple examples like that. So I think the the ability to get companies to collaborate at scale uh, and not just every company have a project with WWF or with the Nature Conservancy, but actually collective, to collectively think about uh, watershed health in identified high-stressed areas, uh, that's probably the biggest issue holding us back. Hmm. Kind of on the other side of the coin, what is something that maybe you're most excited about that lies ahead? You know, maybe maybe uh, an opportunity that lies ahead, the way things are going. What's what's got you uh, feeling optimistic? I'm very I'm very excited uh, about uh, digital technology and how it uh, enables better water use for us uh, internally, but also helps us to map and understand water uh, risk, understand and be able to track and monitor water quality um, over time using uh, remote sensing uh, aerial technologies, uh, satellite imagery, uh, and then by blending the data, being able to track and also predict and therefore focus uh, collective action efforts uh, going forward. We think digital technology is going to bring enormous potential uh, for us to fast track some of the analysis that we've done in the past and also making measurement and impact assessment much quicker, much cheaper uh, than we've done in the past. Mm. Yeah, I would second technology in general. I mean, I think there's a lot of water technologies that have really advanced and just ability to use satellite data, things like that, that we just never had before. So, you know, you need data to make good and good decisions. And we're starting to see it on the water quality side as well. So I do think that is a, a big one. The other one, I think, is there's just finally a bit of a changing around this with you know, with local governments, local utilities, just understanding the importance of water reuse and recycling. And we're hoping that that opens up the door to be allowed to do more advanced water water stewardship than has been uh, allowed before in a lot of geographies. And it's going to be a slow evolution, but we're starting to see that take place. California, there's really good examples. And 
I think that really opens up because, you know, recycled water and recycled wastewater is one of the few sources there are that haven't really been fully tapped. So mm. we're doing some research with that around that with beer, just trying to see where those trends are starting to happen because that'll really open up opportunities. Mm. Uh, I, I like both your answers. I really love that you mentioned water reuse. I am such a believer that we need to, as a society, push the pedal down fast on that. Um, especially, again, you see what's happening out in the Colorado River Basin in California, the, the levels that these reservoirs are at. Like it's time for some bold, some bold steps. And I think the technology is there when it comes to water reuse too. So uh, Nick and Andre really enjoyed the conversation. Thank you guys for all the perspective and info. Uh, and cheers. Thank you, Travis. Appreciate it. It's been fun. Cheers. Waterloop. Thanks, everyone, for listening to today's episode. A special thanks to Waterloop supporters, Springpoint Partners, and the Walton Family Foundation. The Waterloop Podcast is sponsored by High Sierra Showerheads, the smart, stylish way to save energy, water, and money while enjoying a powerful shower. Use promo code LOOP20 for 20% off at HighSierraShowerheads.com. If you like Waterloop, please subscribe to the YouTube channel or your favorite podcast platform. Follow us on social media and visit Waterloop.org to sign up for updates. Waterloop, Waterloop, Waterloop.